So we are beginning the first episode of our as of yet unnamed uh, Game Master Workshop. Uh, we will be discussing various topics from episode to episode on how to help people become better GMs, deal with problem players, deal with great players, and whatever else comes up. Uh, with me, we have Cal. If you want to say hi. Yeah, no video, buddy. Hey. <laughs> Doing good, but uh, hello, everyone. Madcast Cal. I've been a member for about six months now. I'm happy to be involved with this, as I was with LD&D. Um, with that, I'll say thank you, Munster, for starting that up and pass it over to you. <laughs> oh, good evening. I am Munza, and I am very interested in talking about all the different technologies you have to develop as a game master. Perfect. And we also have here uh, with us the Prince. Good evening, Prince. Uh, I'm here to talk about how wrong everyone on this uh, podcast is going to be. Fantastic. And we have with us also Boche. Uh, good evening as well. Uh, I've been with Madcast for seven years. Some of us mentioned how long we've been around. Uh, oh boy. <laughs> uh, and I've been um, jamming uh, for damn near two decades now, and hopefully I have something you can take away from. Excellent. And then, of course, there's myself, Jiggles. Uh, I have been a player for a little over 30 years at this point, uh, DMing for about two decades myself, off and on. Um, and I hope some of my, uh, my, my views here help people. Um, so we're going to get started. Tell me that we're going to introduce ourselves with our experience. Me. <laughs> well, no, nobody knew. Again, this is very rough, man. You know, we're, we're all starting it out. No, so. I'm, I'm messing around. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, because we do know that Voshe here is on a limited uh, time frame, uh, we're going to go ahead and let him. Uh, I know he has a hot take here that he wants to throw out. So. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, introduce the topic because uh, today we're talking about uh, the idea of winging it versus preparation. Uh, and I, my hot take is that this often discussed idea is, I think, um, a false dilemma. If you're thinking about your prep from the perspective of winging it versus prepping it, you're doing yourself and your players a disservice because you don't want to focus on, you know, can I wing it? Can I prep? What's the difference? In every session, you have a certain amount of prep that needs to be done based off of what the session needs. And my perspective is always the earlier in a campaign it is, the one shot being the earliest, um, you need more prep. And uh, the more more important what's going to happen in the session being part of, of tying up loose ends, the more prep you need. And one shot needs a lot of that too, because it's, it's one and done. You got to tie those ends up now. And from there you, you move on to everything else you're going to do. If you're doing a one shot, yeah, you got to prep all the encounters, the story, it's very tight. And so you got to know what you're going to do. But if you're doing a campaign, you should not be sitting there trying to plan out and math out point A to point Z for our Canadian friends in session five, session seven, session 15, unless it's the end of an arc where they finally get to defeat that necromancer on top of the mountain. You shouldn't be sitting there doing all of that. You should go into it going, I need to know what the important pieces are and what they're doing as well as a way to generate encounters if you don't have thing, things you know they're going to fight. That's about it. You don't have to have the town mapped out unless that means something to you. It makes you feel better. You like doing that. You don't need a list of 50 NPCs with motivations and places to be. And You are not creating Skyrim or Oblivion or any, any piece of it in fiction, in your system in your game if you approach it as going how much of you know daggerfall do i have to recreate how much of right run am i recreating for my session then you're just making yourself suffer doing tons of work that your players probably won't engage with that 
may make the session more frustrating for both of you to do. So my perspective is always start with do the things you know are going to matter, do things big picture, and prep as little as possible. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in there and take that opportunity. Uh, hopefully you will finish Roche, but... Um... You got it. All right. Uh, yeah, um, thinking about it and winging an improv, as uh, Roche clearly kind of, you know, indicated is the wrong way to go about it. And really, you need to be thinking, well, what's the context? And then what are you comfortable with? Because with the internet, we have the capability to find ready-made NPCs. You don't need to do those, those 50 carefully crafted ones. You can. That's awesome. You know, you do you. But you can find stuff easily available to wing it, um, to improv in the moment on the basis of what is being raised by your players. Um, there are a lot of sites. I, I'm assuming we could probably append a whole bunch of uh, links uh, once the podcast is published. Um, but really, it's about finding a happy place. Um, and from my perspective, what I do is I create a framework and then I go with it from there. And I think you've all somewhat familiar, though maybe our viewers aren't, with the Dark Matter one-shot that wasn't. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, where, where your players takes you is what is fun. If they're having fun, you don't need to railroad them forward unless that's particularly specific uh, and important to the particular game you're running. Do what's fun, follow uh, you know what you feel comfortable with. You shouldn't be shoehorning yourself into a situation that you're not comfortable. Um, and to a certain extent, that comes with um, finding the players that are right for you and establishing that baseline first. If you do that, then you've got a lot of leeway and stuff to play with. I saw you nodding there, Prince. Yeah, I mean, if I was going to add something to that, based off the way I run things. I, uh, I will say straight up, I'm not a world builder. It's not my thing. It's not something I particularly enjoy. You will not catch me making a shitload of world maps and things of that nature for any of my games. I tend to run things that are already made, actually, because I don't like to build out like my own campaigns. So you can call that a sort of railroading if you're running a you know pre-made campaign i don't particularly consider it that way because a lot of the different actions that players can take are still very much up to them even in in campaign books even though you have a particular direction you're going in it doesn't necessarily mean that the way that everyone will get there will be the same and i like to to point that out because a lot of people think unless the world is completely open for me to do whatever the fuck I want at any given time, then I'm being railroaded. That is not the definition of railroading. The definition of railroading is not giving your players agency to decide things for themselves. So how they take an action in a game or what they can do. If you are constantly telling a player, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. And not giving any other option, options, that is railroading. But having them go on a somewhat predetermined path is not necessarily railroading, as long as you establish this at the beginning of the game. Uh, I know for myself, the first time I was thinking of getting into tabletop, I had like this big idea of this big world and you can go anywhere. It's like anywhere on the planet could be yours. And then I was like, well, then what do I put in those places? What do people do? How does that work? Who are the people that live there? And I was like, holy shit, this is way out of my control. Can't do that. Let me go find forgotten worlds or realms and use this because at least I have a baseline for where things are. Uh, so I think if you, if you want to uh, plan things, plan to your strengths, right? Like I'm not a world builder. I like characters. I build out certain characters that I can put in anywhere. Anywhere in the world, this person could show up. Anywhere in the world, this item could show up. And they can be placed in a random house. This thing could happen based on any sort of different triggers. You have to be ready to basically improv that. And I think in most of my games, I'm actually winging stuff way more than you'd think because just because it's a written out campaign doesn't mean I'm doing something directly by the book or that the decisions that are made are all told out to me. You just pick the way your players want to go. 
and you should encourage them to do that. But you, what you'll find is you'll be winging a whole lot of interactions that they'll have or interesting ways they'll, they'll decide to do things. Uh, but I think a good chunk of doing GMing or storytelling uh, is winging it. But like, I, I, I kind of agree with Voshe here is that it's kind of a, almost like a false dichotomy because it, it really depends on what sort of baseline you're setting up for your players and for yourself for what you want to do for your campaign and making sure that y'all are all on the same page. Because if you're not, then you're going to run into problems. And so before I start challenging some of that dumb acidness, <laughs> I would like to make a point of something that was separately identified between the three of you, and that is the concept of the stable. The stable involve it's the idea that regardless of the medium you're using, whether it's roll 20 and you got yourself a nice collection of digital assets, tokens, map tiles, pre-statted out blocks, um, or if you're IRL, you've got a nice collection of manila folders and sticky notes and organized miniatures and all kinds of stuff at your fingertips so that you can craft stuff at a whim or you can call an audible when your players throw you a curveball. Um, I think that is something that each DM develops to their own needs and wants. It's something I encourage anybody listening who hasn't even DM'd a game yet to play around with, if only to discover things that you like in the various systems that you play. But that being said, I got to challenge this idea that there is a false dichotomy because everything that was just said was a very theoretical ideal exploration and there's a practical reality and there is a difference it's nice to be able to have time to prepare um it's nice to be able to have things at hand and to even have a rough outline of where you want the story to go because it's nice to have those frills prepared and to have that certitude of what is next but both on a practical side of, oh God, real life happened, but I still want to run the game. And on a side of being able to better respond, as you were talking about, Prince, to the needs and wants of your players, there is a series of skills you can develop to wing it. Should I disagree? <laughs> yeah yeah go have at it the way you will briefly as i put the dog away and then head down to the dinner uh i will say that i i feel like the problem with that perspective is that the end goal is to attempt to do skyrim better than skyrim and nobody can outdo skyrim in flesh i don't know also, quite what you're getting at there if prep is good and more prep is better then the end goal, obviously, should be Skyrim. I'm not saying that, well, more prep is better because there's a certitude and confidence that comes with having stuff on hand, having well-designed notes that you can refer to. Like, I think the issue of railroading, um, that that's a spectrum of taste. I think each group has to develop a spectrum of taste about how much they want it railroaded because all railroading is is restrictions on the player's ability to like tell the story. And some players want a DM who's or a GM, excuse me. Let's not get copyrighted here. <laughs> a GM to tell a story. Some GMs want to tell a very tightly controlled story. And some players want that too. So where you fit on that spectrum of railroading, I think is kind of separate to what we're talking about here. Well, I added that specifically because what people would consider prep is a lot of what I do not do because I use pre-written campaigns, uh, modules and things of that nature. Often the only prep, and I say that with air quotes, that I have to do is figure out what kind of characters I want to play. 
what kind of NPC I want here, or who's going to be the person that pushes this story along the way. That is my prep in most games. So <laughs> defining prep, this also kind of depends on, on what kind of game you're running. If you're homebrewing a game, yes, you will be doing prep. And I say that in quotes again, because you made the world, you made what you want your players to play in. Even if this is a giant open world, Ela Skyrim, you still made the world of Skyrim. You know what's way over yonder across those mountains because you prepped that. Even if it's just prepping the fact that that place is there. You get what I'm I saying? Challenge, so I, I got to challenge the idea that you don't do prep though, because even if you're doing pre-gen content- oh no, like I did not the, say I wasn't doing any prep at all. I'm saying that the prep is really as much as I, I often am just improving these things because the prep is just having a general sketched out idea of this is a place that people will go. This is the thing they might do. These are characters that may exist. That's my prep. But in well, presumably you also read the module. Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I said. That that's already done for me. I read it, but like, well, right. So it's not you doing the prep, but the prep's already been done. Right, is, exactly. is the point. So somebody has done the prep. So Correct. there does need to be some form of prep, regardless whether it's you that's doing it in a homebrew yeah. or if it's yeah. you know Wizards of the Coast or whoever in a module like that. Now, personally, I've had uh, I've had GMs and storytellers that have been on both ends of the spectrums. I've had ones that have had incredibly detailed worlds planned out from the beginning with you know every like down to exact population counts and cities and, and some absolute craziness but then i've also had dms that basically spent 45 seconds drawing a world map threw some icons on there and then just started randomly making up names as we went along um i've had i've had the and you know a lot of times in those instances you get some really interesting names i remember once playing a, a game that was uh a very it was a campaign that was very pirate based and most of the well-known pirates in the world were named after liquors. You know, it, it, it happens, <laughs> but, uh, Personally, I think, especially nowadays with the, the different mediums that we have available, you know, with things like roll 20 or, or foundry or what have you that a little more prep is needed. Um, because, you know, I remember back when we started, it was all theater of the mind. You know, if the players, you know, if you had all this stuff planned, if the players were going right and the players decided to go left instead, you could just make it up on the fly and it was no big deal. But if you've got all of these, you know, maps and tokens and, and you know, all this cool shit set up and the players just don't want to go do that at all, you're scrambling to come up with something at that point. Um, so it gets a little... You know, it's, 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 you got to find a happy medium, uh, between the two. Um, and I think that's, yeah. that's where one of the big cases comes from is, is at what point do you go, you know, do you tell your players, Hey, y'all are messing up my shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's merit to what Voshe, uh, originally posited the idea that it, it ki kind of pegged pinging off the stable concept, uh, what Voshe was essentially outlining was how each, each group over a protracted campaign develops a stable that the G DM can refer to. GM. Bah! That the GM can refer to. So the GM, uh, after a half year of a nice meaty campaign, you've got NPCs, you've got locations that are are already seated in the player's mind. So spinning additional story off of those is a lot easier. <clears throat> um, there's, there's sort of like a global preparation that happens as a campaign goes on. But what I want to specifically narrow down on is that circumstance where you can't cancel the session for X reason you haven't done the prep and what are the technologies that you have that are irrespective of group dynamics? You know, just focusing in on the GM role right now, the technologies to be able to pull off a session like that. 
And I think we can draw some influences from outside media in that. Um, anybody who's a fan of the pre-television shift of the aughts to more novelized, serialized fiction, we used to have episodes of Star Trek that were what we called bottle episodes. Focus in on a specific situation that doesn't uh, fit in, doesn't intersect with the broader narrative, but is a fun little excursion. And I think there are some skills to that. And I'm pretty sure you, I saw you guys nodding. So if you want to kind of play off that a little bit. Final episodes, are, I mean, they could even be called filler, uh, you know, if it's not pushing the overall narrative kind of a thing. Um, but it's it's great. Like, um, I had uh, a session that I was working on for LD&D um, that I'm going to end up repurposing because I absolutely loved it. But I was making a, you know, a murder mystery. Uh, that was the the whole session was going to be the the players at a at a party by you know this recluse treasure hunter, um, and it was going to be a murder and it was going to be them you know talking to all of these different eccentric unique NPCs and trying to figure out who murdered this you know this this poor victim, um, and it wouldn't have done anything to the overall narrative, you know it just would have been this fun little bottle session. and that's again referencing the stable that is a like you could develop a quick outline put it in a manila folder or have it as a file on your computer so there is this blending like it's not a clear delineation between winging it uh being a hardcore prepper yeah yeah i i would say there's no such thing as a a no prep session really because, oh, if and, chaos was here. And uh, hold on, let me let me explain this because I want you to really think this, think about what I'm saying. Part of prep is a digestion of the media and mediums that we've gotten it through. It can be stories that have happened in real life and other fiction that we've used, characters from a movie or an episode of CSI. Somewhere in your mind, that is prep. You put that together from a story that you know of, and you took that and you brought it to your campaign table. Uh, To run a game online digitally, there's almost always some sort of prep that you have to do, be it setting it up on Roll20 or putting it into Foundry or whatever virtual tabletop you use. There is some prep done for everything. Even if it's just sitting at your table and making sure your fucking table is clean, there is prep to every single thing you do. If it's if you're a DM and you're using a system, guess what? You had to learn the system. You had to learn the rules. Even if your players don't know those rules, you have to be the arbitrator. There's always prep. So prep is never going to not exist for running a game for anything you do. How much prep is going to vary drastically depending on the players and the GM. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm going to, I mean, if you're looking, first of all, yes, if you're running a game on a VTT, there is preparation that needs to be done. Just doing it in LD&D and clearing the turn order from the last DM that run that or restarting the API or something like that, absolutely. And often it comes from your players who may not have had uh, experience using Roll20 or one of the others. Um, and you as a GM need to be there to assist them on that and, you know, kind of, you're going to know your players, you're going to know what kind of things they potentially might, you know, need a bit of help with. And so sure, if you're going to look at prep like that way, or if not running it in a game, and you're looking at it at something which is almost the equivalent of sure, if you observe something, then you're going to, you know, affect it. But I've run sessions um, at a tabletop where players just show up. I've run a session where I run it, not knowing the system, making up a system and just going for it. If you're comfortable with improv, you can do that. In terms of like not prepping a session with an idea of where you're going. Have you done that without running another system? No, without dictating a system. I just said, No, no, no. I mean, as a brand new DM, never DMing a game, have you run a no prep session. You know, I'm not talking about myself never DM in game. I was about 15 in the thing, uh, the, the, the story I'm recounting. Um, it was with a bunch of other teenagers who have never done it before, all my age. And I said, okay, fine. Well, we're in a school. 
let's set it in a school. We're all in a school. Uh, let's say, let's say there's, you know, a big blizzard outside. And so we did it like that. And then I said, you've got one stat that is your body. You've got one stat, which is your mind and one stat, which is effectively persuasion, your social, how you interact with others. And I got everybody to make it for the person to the next to them. And then we just, uh, like, because I was familiar with D&D, it was just a 3D6 system. You roll that die, and then I'll interpret it, and we'll see how it goes. And that then evolved after a while, after the second uh, hour, I think, into a werewolf game, because we've been drinking, and we were talking about that a little bit. Uh, okay, I was 16, but, you know, it was... I was just, that was, that was what I was laughing at. <laughs> but, but, but the point being is that, you know... I, and I think this is the central point, at least for me, when it comes to winging or improv, uh, winging or prepping. Do what you feel you need to do to get to a comfortable state where you can run that game, where you can put people into a, a situation where you can describe what is going on and you know promote immersion. Because if we're talking about winging it and prep, I, for me, the most important two factors are how comfortable you as a DM are and how immersive you can create a situation and those are the two things and that and so when you're talking about it like that yeah get comfortable with how you're familiar running it um i think chaos in chat raised a great point well raised the point where he actually didn't you know he made sure he wasn't going to prep and he was going to run it to improve his improv skills and that, that's a hell of a take <laughs> i i like diving into it that's you know ballsy but you find you find what where you're comfortable uh doing this and then you match it to how immersed your players feel and then you ask for feedback you know because you can't live in uh this is going you know this is going the way i want it to but everybody mm. else is like well i have issues yeah. i'm not really feeling yeah. it you know be it because they need a battle map to visualize it and uh, when i first arrived here um i jumped into a game via meetup which is always a crazy thing to do um, <laughs> one of the people there had never played a game before but she came with minis like box two boxes you know uh, two foot uh, deep three foot wide by two foot full of minis and uh, um, scenery and I kind of asked why she, uh, I can't remember what the condition was, but she was unable to visualize things with theater of the mind easily. And She's needed a very, she needed representation. the yeah. visualization. Yeah. She needed that visual that. representation. Yeah. And so we were like, awesome and benefited from it, you know, due to that, but adapt to your players, you know, uh, it's not just you getting to your comfortable state. Your players mm -hmm. need to be comfortable too. That is that is super important. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And Absolutely. Yeah. There's no way I could I could run a game the way that you said it. Just come up with a system. I would never been comfortable enough with that. Like my improv skills are character improv. I know that's what it is. Like I can come up with NPCs, voices, personality traits, just without thinking. It's just a natural thing to me. But the rest of that shit. Uh, what the house looks like, all the things that are in it, where this key is hiding. No, got to do a little prep work for that for me. Yeah, I mean, descriptions like that are, you know, can definitely be hard to come up with on the fly. Uh, that's, that's not just a you thing. Like, but some um, people are great at that. Some yeah. people are terrible at the things that I do, where I can just be like, I'm Batman. <laughs> I have three <laughs> points. Number one. I think we should save time for questions. Try and keep this as close to an hour as possible for our first little outing. Mm -hmm. uh, number two, I have an idea for a recurrent bit we can do, perhaps as a segue from our main topic to questions. Number three, I have a final point to make about the practical side of winging it. A final technology to give as we're coming to the end of our wisdom. And that is one simple phrase. Tell me more. Mm, yes. As a GM, <laughs> if you are ever in a pot, let's, let's take winging it down to the most granular uh, instance. It's most pure form. And that is when a player does a thing, asks a question that you are not prepared for. 
I'm gonna, in- I'm gonna add two two more phrases to that to complement it because I think that's a great point. Uh, two phrases that I found really useful to me when I started DMing uh, the second time was, okay, and then, and also, all right, frame it for me. Like, describe it, put it in your character's words. Let me see how it going, you know? Let me, let me be able to visualize it because if they can do that, then it, and it gets them thinking. I think that's a great point, Marissa. Sorry to interrupt. In that moment, and I think that this might actually come from like improv. I've never taken an improv class, nor do I want to, but I think that's where this comes from, that when you, you, you draw a blank, what you're supposed to default to is some permutation of tell me more. Yep. Um, and that's what I advise you to do because what you're looking at, we were talking about um, skills at immersion, at painting a scene. All that stuff is predicated on you having a catalyst for your own creativity. And when you don't have one, ask the players to tell you more and search for that catalyst that you can use to spin the situation out. That is the core essence of winging it. Now, in a transitory thing, a bit or a segment we could do, I would like to suggest a name, Greatest Crits. Give a quick two-minute story about a time when critical, a critical hit happened that changed the evening. And as an example, I would love to go first. Feel free. The time about eight years ago in the vaunted days of 2013 or maybe late 2012. This was at Madcast in a 3.5 D and D game being run by LT Telemann, one of our legendary members. Um, I was guesting, I was guesting on a player who couldn't be there. Who's I was playing a sorcerer. And this was back when I think the cut to the quick, it was the climactic boss encounter, big, bad, his big, bad henchos and the party. And I proceeded, I came jiggles. Maybe you remember what the spell is, but the one where on 20 on a nat 20, it would chain to the next target. Chain lightning. Mm. It wasn't chain lightning. It was a sorcerer. Oh. One of those things. Either way, the whole point was I rolled four 20s in a row and all but cleared the entire counter in a, encounter in a single round of combat. It was ridiculous. It's one of the few times I had ever heard LT like speechless and with nothing to say, and it was glorious. It was absolutely glorious. Couldn't have been. It was magical. That's pretty good. Greatest crits. One of my favorites. Uh, Harking back to... No, it's just one per episode, Jiggles. You got to sit on it till next time for the next (laughs) transition to questions. Oh, is that what it is? I love it. Yeah, it's a segment. We can only do it per episode. Oh, okay, okay. But let's rattle off these questions. People took the time to ask. All right, all right. So we have uh, a set of seven questions here from uh, the wonderful Kitty. Um. Her first one being, what's the most oh shit moment you've had as a GM where you struggled to come up with something on the fly? Oh, I mean, that's easy. That's literally forgetting that you have a session to run tonight. (laughs) (laughs) That's happened on the one, right? (laughs) Can't say I've had that one. Oh, Uh. you'll, you'll get there. Yeah, you'll get, get there. there, man. It sneaks up on you, and you just sit there. How did I get here? How did this happen? Um, it's happened to me so many times. Like, you just, uh. But if you've got those winging it technologies built into your brain, oh, my gosh, that's the worst. Yes, but also, uh, at that point, though, having a lot of stuff prepared ahead of time can help with that. Because sure. then you're already ready to go, you know, regardless of if you forgot that you had a session until five minutes beforehand. So um, we'll throw that. We'll throw that. Welcome back there, Voshe. Yeah, I'm half here, but I'll be fully here shortly. Okay. I, I actually think 
But my most oh shit moment was the first session I ever ran uh, at, at the table. And I was running with a couple of friends and my wife and uh, these goblins that I had, it was just a set of three goblins and they shit on everybody in the party except the Kenku Artificer. And I was pretty sure that my three goblins was going to kill a barbarian, a artificer, and a rogue. And the first combat we had on, on the road, I was like, oh, oh shit. Did I overtune this? Did I add too many things? Am I doing it wrong? <laughs> but no. Everyone lived, but it was it was real close shit. And the what it ended up happening is they were actually supposed to have another combat. And I was like, wipe that. Then I had to find a place where they could rest, which was not in the plan. So I was like, well, what do I do now? I was like, all right, well, obviously I'll eliminate this combat, but do I keep the combat for the next thing? Because that combat right there was an easy combat. This next one might kill them. So I'm like, chop off enemies, cut down health bars. I'm just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'll just go. Yeah, first session I ever ran. All right. So you're all familiar with somebody, I think, um, probably uh, called Kitty Stark. So I was uh, running a Dark Matter one shot that you may have heard of. Anyway, <laughs> yes, indeed. One shot. I think that always one shot. <laughs> So uh, the situation is that they are going to interpret a gang uh, in this space station. We're playing Dark Matter, a uh, kind of a, a setting for the new 5e. And I'm taking them through the Dead Sun's adventure path. Now, there are two gangs involved in a situation. One gang um, is like real bad dudes. You know, they run a club, they're into trafficking, they're into like a whole bunch of whatever you want to, you know, name it, like contracted hits and so on, this type of thing. Another gang uh, has been hired to essentially protect uh, certain individuals and uh, due to a legal case that is going on. Now, this gang was, well, let's say socially conscious. They were... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, you know, responsible for the community. They put a lot of their money back. It's essentially a Robin Hood organization. Kitty is uh, playing, I don't know, uh, well, I've named her now. <laughs> Kitty is playing an amoeboid. An amoeboid is a uh, race that can, um, uh, well, as you imagine, like, you know, make themselves super small and do these kind of things. And Kitty is playing effectively like a, a sociopathic psychopath. I would have serious questions with a player bringing that into my game. You know, the question of do you run all good or all evil uh, when somebody is effectively, well, maybe not evil, but like psychopathic and sociopathic. Uh, I don't want to debate mental health and alignment here. I think that's potentially another podcast. But the whole party yeah, that's on the list. <laughs> the whole party is uh, downstairs except for Kitty. Now, this is underneath a bodega, uh, sort of a um, projects-type neighborhood, <clears throat> I think is the American term. Uh, so the whole party is downstairs dealing with the gang leader. Kitty's character is upstairs. They have security cameras upstairs that are on the big screen downstairs. Kitty's character basically hunts down and kills this old grandmother. I, yep. And everybody's watching it downstairs and unable to run up. So I'm faced with a situation where I'm like, okay, there is no way this is not getting out unless certain things occur. Those things did not occur. So th then it was a case of, okay, well, what happens now? Because at the same time, uh, I, I mean, I, as a DM, I never fudge a role. For me, and that's my view, that for me, that's uh, a breach of covenant between the GM and the players. So, taking on from that, actions have consequences. Um, and I, I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing about D&D or any other TTRPG. When characters do something, be it good or bad, there will be effects that occur. That is the link between causality and effect. And that drives the narrative forward. And that's beautiful. So, in this case, you're on a star, uh, space station. You're in a place where... 
this is um, you know a little bit less, more lawless but there's still law about so how to play it when a you know something like that occurs an egregious action and then how to take it forward uh, without but that 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 for me was a GM conundrum how to do that now I planned out certain things but in terms of that uh, oh shit moment as kitty put in her question where you struggle to come up with something on the fly that was that that was that for me because and i will say this the reason that i allowed uh, and it was okay with kidding like playing that character was and this is for you kitty this is pure brilliant role playing every single instant where she was playing out her character's darker aspects was beautifully done it bound the party together Everybody kind of appreciated it, but also was like, oh, fuck, how are we going to deal with this? So that's, that's my, oh, good Lord, moment. <laughs> Jiggles, uh, I don't know if you want to go next, but there you go. Yeah, um, uh, the, the most oh, shit moment had to do with a bard. Of course it was a bard. It's always a fucking bard. Um... It was one of those, hey, here's the, the big bad, you know, or at least the big bad of this arc of the campaign. And uh, they didn't know it was the big bad yet. But the, you know, the bard being the bard decided to attempt to seduce said big bad who they had met as just a random NPC and uh, succeeded succeeded greatly and so they had this this bard that was in this you know, secret relationship with the person who ended up being the big bad so i had to deal with with how to how to maneuver the big bad into doing what they were going to do you know and still get the party invested enough to have to deal with the big bad even once they found out that you know the, these two were to get it was Ah, fucking bards, man. <laughs> um, it was it was it was intense. Uh, it took months. I mean, it was an oh shit moment when it first happened, and it 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 had ripples for months in in the campaign. It was uh, it was it was definitely an odd odd time. So, what about you, Voshe? What was your, the most oh shit moment you've had as a DM where you had to come up with something on the fly? If you're back, back. Ah, he may not be. Okay. All right, then we will move on. Question two. Do you randomly get ideas for campaigns and save them to use later? Or do you only brainstorm when you're planning for your current players? I'll go ahead and answer this one. I get ideas all the time. And I make notes all the time. It might not fit into the next campaign, but I have notes from... Uh, did we miss months on the last one? I'm so sorry. I thought he started that. Yeah, I, it was the first answer. Yeah. Oh, the critical hit answer. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, no, that was before the questions. So, yeah. Um, but I've, I have notes from a decade ago from ideas that I've had that I still haven't been able to implement properly. Um, so uh, for me, it's definitely whenever I come up with something that could be awesome, I, I make a note of it. I, I've just asked a friend of mine, uh, one of the main DMs on the Scraticus Academy channel and streams, you know, very regularly, uh, Alice, head person Alice. Um, she's delightful and if you like horror games I absolutely would uh, recommend you go check her out because she's that good so I asked her about how she um, planned out adventures did she use Trello did she use notebooks and so on so on stream she pulled out her stack of notebooks for different campaigns that she's running um, both streamed and non and she has her ideas books and that's for when you know uh, stereotypically you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like Oh my God, write that shit down. I've never done this. I can't imagine how many great ideas we have. The, if you don't do that in the moment that you lose the flavor of it 
if not the entirety. And the flavor is important because when you get that idea, it's often tied to a character or an NPC and you're like, this will be awesome. You, have, you remember the idea later, but if you can't tie it into that trigger, why it will particularly be cool, then it's just a good idea potentially. But mm. having a great idea is an idea that bonds and ties in with what's going on with your campaign or what could go on. Uh, I wanted to raise that because I think that's a great you know, point. I will say that I, my ideas for most things, like I said, I am a very character centric kind of person. So I have character sheets that I've drawn up for characters that are NPCs or playable characters and a bunch of different systems. But those aren't the ones that really get me because I do those all the time. I don't even think about them. They happen so often. What gets me is when I have an idea for a campaign point or a, a, a thing that's happening in a world that I want to create. So I don't build a whole world, but I build a trigger that fits for a world. And I'm gonna be honest, my vampire game idea started because of COVID-19. And I know that sounds weird, but the trigger for it is that if everyone is locked up in houses, how, how are vampires feeding? What sort of thing will that, what sort of problems will that cause for vampire society? Uh, and that is the, the launching point of where the world is in my, my game. Because Philly does not exist technically in Vampire the Masquerade lore. I mean, it exists, but it's not a place where people hang out. So I have built Philly as a pl amalgamation of vampires from all over the country who ended up here for a reason. And I will talk about that more once I'm into the campaign. But COVID-19 was a big trigger event that made me want to start a world. And that's the, the sort of thing that, that I write down. Well, I'd really like to carve out a spot as the, uh, you know, looking down the nose, pompous ass of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think depending on where my mental proclivities are on the day, I, I just have constant inspirations. Uh, not so much when I'm not actively running a game, but when I'm actively running a game, I just, whether I'm reading, watching something, playing a game at work, interacting with people, like I am all the time, I'm just like, oh, game. And, you know, sometimes I'll spin it out in my head a little bit. I never take notes on it. I just kind of like spin it into the aether of my brain. And if it comes back, I guess that means it had like a little more worth to it. I want to interject at this point to say that I was talking to Prince and Red um, during LD and D about my, you know, certain anxieties and so on. I, uh, I, well, I used the phrase I didn't want to disappoint D and Daddy, and so I think that now I'm going to only refer to you as D and Daddy on the podcast. Oh, I about that. It's okay with you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, dear daddy. I so good. I said with affection, and I hope it doesn't, uh, <laughs> but we can always edit it out. So. Mm. Well, what about what about you, Moshe? You got to answer that question? Uh, well, if Munz is carving out the spot as um, the, the pompous old asshole, uh, in the absence of Red Justice, I guess I'll carve out the spot as the robot. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, because uh, I uh, appear to be afflicted with a very specific um, disorder of the brain where I don't actually create imagery in the traditional sense what people do when they imagine things and picture things. They can like see it like they're watching a movie in their head. Uh, and I don't do that. Uh, so I often approach a lot of things from a, a orthogonal direction to other people. And I'll say that as the odd man out here who's really as prep light as possible without being chaos, I don't take notes on these things. I don't write down good ideas. I don't uh, have particularly detailed campaign journals. Before Roll20 was a thing, I didn't even have a campaign binder. 
I I would maybe put uh, a sticky in the monster manual to a, a spot where an encounter was that I was definitely planning to use, and I would maybe uh, use Obsidian Portal, if you remember that, is kind of like a, a wiki for D&D games, to build a small wiki of characters and factions, just so I could have it all referenceable, and that's it. Uh, I think I probably run the least prep out of everybody here in the grand scheme of things, not counting Roll20, basically forcing you, strong-arming you into prep with tokens and whatnot. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so we've got a few more questions. Um, we're going to try to push through these quickly. Um, so we'll go. We'll try to keep. Let's try to keep the answers to these next couple here uh, uh, succinct. Succinct. And uh, so the next one is: What is the what is the funniest thing a player in your campaign did that you didn't expect? Oh, I, I got a quick answer to this one. Uh, Red Justice surprised me with. Uh, shaping water for serving beer. She basically popped the top off of a keg and uh, to help the bartender lady as they were super busy and just had beer fountains floating across the bar and into people's glasses. And I was like, well done. I did not see that coming, but that was an interesting use of skills and I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Gotta love power tricks. Anyone else have an example? Um, I didn't expect my player uh, who plays, oh, well, one of my players whose uh, character is a 17-year-old wizard, now ninth level, he's seen some shit. Um, well, first of all, he starts uh, trying to do a taco truck and stuff, but that's a whole other story. I didn't expect him in a completely improvised moment within the Storm King's Thunder campaign whereby I had them attacked by gargoyles because the big bad spoilers, um, can create gargles out of people. So petrify, you know, uh, modified petrify spell, essentially. Um, he then uh, started uh, doing sending all the time to the person he rescued, uh, Lady Hariana Hawkwinter of Waterdeep, a member of the Order of the Gauntlet, who was, you know, uh, beholden to him. And obviously he didn't want it to be creepy. And so we discussed this, but at the same time, we discussed it after the fact. So during the course of the session, he started sending effectively like love notes as written by a 17 year old to a woman in her late thirties and doing it. And that kind of stimmied me. I mean, what do I do? I had to make a decision on the point there, but it was brilliant. And the party loved it. They loved how he was playing a 17 year old, you know, boy who had just gone through puberty, who had stuck most of his time into research, who had then been thrust into the world of adventures, met this, you know, woman who just astounded him. And that was where he was operating from. And again, role play, if you're going to do these things, role playing it well and discussing with your GM, beautiful things can happen out of it. So now I have to correspond with him as a woman in her late thirties who is very accomplished and so on. And well, that's helped me, I guess, grow as a person and certainly as a DM. <laughs> oh, wonderful. I have a story from when not I got an unexpected player event, but where I was the unexpected player event from many years ago. This is back when I was in high school. Um, we were rescuing a kidnapped princess from the evil bad mage man with a big tower. Classic plot. I happen to be playing one of the interesting classes released in 3.5, a soul bow, which uh, for the shortest possible explanation was basically a, a Dragon Ball Yu Yu Hakusho type character uh, with you know key blasts and, and fighty punching. Um, and we were working our way up this tower level by level and we came upon a uh, bedchamber with a sleeping form in it and we were like not even like two thirds of the way up and they were arguing about what to do there's somebody sleeping there you know should we try to do this try to do that and they just were arguing in circles for about five minutes 
and I grew uh, tired of this argument. And so I go, I shoot it uh, with my with my energy blast. And the DM just like kind of blinked. Everybody else blinked. And the DM said, are, are you are you sure? I mean, you could you could maybe kill this this thing, you know? And I'm like, I kill it awake. <laughs> so after the blast hits the sleeping form, the bed shifts, and you see that it is in fact a princess now dying. Uh, <laughs> we stabilize. Another uh, that was a turn back then, and carry her back down. Because the actual plan of the DM was for us to rescue her pretty easily because this big bad man was going to be a big bad man for a while. So we weren't going to actually fight him this time. Man, I have a lot of memories about humor. And a lot of them would require a lot of context so that they don't seem horrible. But I just got to give it up for the simple things. I remember... When uh, a player, I think it was actually LT again, who was playing a bard, and he just had a hilarious limerick for almost every situation, and he had to have created these off screen and written them down. There's no way they all could have been off the dome, but if they were, man, it was just all you can do is just laugh. Like, you, you know, you can't adapt to the situation, you just gut laugh it out. Oh Lord, um, I it's it's hard. There's so many to pass. I'm gonna pick something that very recently, and I'm gonna go the, the route Voshe did, and it was actually it was something I did, uh, and it was to you, Munza, um, one of the last LVD sessions you ran, where as we were escaping uh, from the logging camp, uh, you know when 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 we're riding by, and I took the form of your little artificer. And flipping him off as we rode out of his camp after destroying all of his stuff. Oh, it was a good moment. I don't know if you were unprepared for that or not, but I thought it was a pretty good moment. On the contrary, like, I mean, that's the best humor moments where there is a mutual appreciation for timing in the scene and the player does it right. And, like, you know, it's not that I wasn't ready for it. I was just grateful for it. You Fair know? enough. What's next? All right. So the next is uh, the most satisfying aha moment you've had as a GM where a player tried to be clever or throw you for a loop, but you were actually prepared for it. Anybody got anything like that? I don't really have any of these, to be honest with you. I mean, like, I, I'm there, there, there's some basic, like, it's not a fun gotcha when it turns out X monster is immune to Y attack. Um, but there is, the, I think the best moments are when you let a party amp themselves up. Like if you can somehow seed for, for them an advantage and it feels like they just found the key to the chest and you can introduce something that makes absolute sense in fiction and give them that gotcha moment and you just hear a pin drop. <laughs> oh, just that elongated moment of silence is what you're going for. And I think one of the better times that I've done it was, it was actually in one of the earlier LD&D sessions. And I can't remember which uh, I can't remember a specific player, but the situation was that um, they had tracked an NPC to like three different locations and they had done all this work, really creative use of skills and also just general creativity. And, um, they had concocted, they just built it all up in themselves. It wasn't even that uh, I was ready for it. I just kept egging them on and it turned out that the person they were looking for was in the first place they had thought and had talked themselves out of. And that <laughs> moment of realization, just by, you know, just <laughs> egging them on. Oh, 
that is just magical because I think it was in like the first location they were at. Oh, it's just perfect. Oh, congratulations, you played yourself. <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a player get a little too hype and and creep into a place they weren't supposed to go without the rest of their party, and it did not turn out well for them. It's like, oh, you think you're going to explore this dark cave by yourself as a mouse? Yeah, no, that didn't work out. Giant eagles ate a <laughs> mouse person. And they were in a cave, and the druid did not expect that. Don't sneak into my caves by yourself. <laughs> There's a Should lot of we, other uh, stuff going on in that session. Yeah. <laughs> Should we maybe bank some questions? Uh, since we're probably going to have like yep. a couple episodes done raw before they start going up all polished. Uh, I mean, we can, we can bank a couple. Um, the, there's like three left. Um, I, at the very least, I'd like to ask Icarus's. He did ask a question. Uh, we've Hit given it. Kitty like four. Um, Icarus has, uh, says, at what point do you say to your players, Hey guys, this went in an entirely unexpected direction. So I need time to prepare. Straight away. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my yep. opinion is also that uh, the second you don't have a good idea for what to do next, you say, hey, I'm waiting a couple minutes to, to, to parse this out and go to the bathroom, get a drink, grab a snack. Yeah, I mean, that. like you're only making yourself and everyone else at the table suffer if you're struggling to do anything that makes sense. No, that's, that's a great answer. Absolutely. Yeah. I learned this very much from uh months actually uh because we were in our planescape campaign and my character uh decided that he was going to take over as the uh the the i don't know prime uh air elemental of the airplane uh in place of his dad and that was the end of our session because that was like early in the session when I decided that, but that was not the decision I suppose that once expected me to have, and I needed to come up with a new character and where the character, the story arc went from there was like, we have to change. And the monster was like, well, we got to go to the next session for this. Cause uh, I'm not ready for that decision. <laughs> and I was like, yep. Uh, Honestly, I didn't know I was going to make the decision until I, I made it. So I knew I was putting him on the spot at the same time too. But that, that it kind of inspired me. Like if you get stuck on something and you know that you can't move on with going on in your story at this point, just tell the players you can't. It's not that big of a deal. People will understand. Right, absolutely. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest things is that regardless of what it comes down to, you got to be honest with the players. You know, it's if you're facilitating the story and you need time to get stuff up because they just, you know, ruined everything. <laughs> Obviously not ruined, but <laughs> you just, you just got to be straightforward. Most players will understand. And if they don't, probably not good players. But that, that's, that's a different episode. <laughs> I, gotta, I just got to comment. Uh, that was 100% a Planescape campaign, given that two players sent it to Godhood before level 20. That's true. <laughs> That's definitely a thing that happened. Yeah, that'll, that'll <laughs> fucking happen. But I want to point out that these situations are not always, but very often, opportunities um, to involve the players in deeper storytelling. Because if you don't know what happens... Um, odds are there's some, you know, if, if you are at a loss for how to describe this, odds are the player or players in question have some idea of what they wanted to accomplish. And it's pretty rare that feeding into that doesn't yield good results. I don't know if this was mentioned, pardon. Uh, I know this was talked about a little bit during the part that I wasn't here, but I think when thinking about what players are going to do and what's going to happen in the story, um, you need to think at the at the density of integers, one, two, three, four, five, with the knowledge that your players' answers in the game can be in any of the infinite spaces between four and five, or one and two. And if you ever get an answer that's like 357 over eight, 
<laughs> Time to end the session. Is <laughs> uh, that teacher brain coming through right there? Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> right? I was like, and yet you all know what I meant. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's, it, Sorry. Right. I, li- I like to describe that as, you know, you, you plan for everybody to go right, but instead they go up. <laughs> it's, you know, yeah. like you could have dealt if they would have decided to go left, but no, no, they're just going up for some fucked up reason. So I, I, I would, I, I would definitely say that if this comes up, don't be afraid to say that because generally your players, you've been playing a couple of sessions, they've gotten to know you unless it's the first one, you're going to make it cooler. You're going to go away, think it through, think through the opportunities and come back and everybody can have even more fun than if you were going to wing something that you just, you know, you're under pressure to do and it's not going to be as good. And that's like, there's prep and there's prep. You know, when you come away with, oh my God, my player's going to try and do this. Wow. What would be the most fun for all of us? Mm -hmm. And it also gives the players a, a chance to figure out how they might react to certain ways that you're reacting to them too. So, cause I mean, there's definitely prep versus winging it when it comes to players as well. So. Way but, to bring it back to the main topic. Yup. Look at that. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, all right with that, I think we will go ahead and, uh, and close out our, our first episode here. We're a little over an hour. Uh, I think, I think we did, did pretty good. Um, so I don't I don't know if we're gonna have any kind of phrase or something to end this. This but. podcast has been sponsored by Madcast Gaming. You can check us out at madcastgaming.com uh, at your leisure. Uh, I am Madcast the Prince. I am here with my good friends, Madcast Munza, Indie Daddy, Madcast Boche. Keep gaming, Madcast Cal. Do what's fun, <laughs> and our glorious host, Madcast Jiggles the Fat. Yup. <laughs> All right. See y'all next time. Have a good night, day, morning. Yeah, whenever you happen to be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs>